Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Amen. Hey, we're going to be in a couple areas of Scripture. It's Luke chapter 23, Luke chapter 23, and Psalm 32. Luke chapter 23, Psalm 32. We are starting a seven-week series on the seven sayings of Christ on the cross. And over the last several months, we've been talking about the hard sayings of Jesus. Now we are looking at some of the profound sayings of Jesus, these seven statements on the cross. And so over the course of the summer, we'll be doing this, and then we will be engaging with the book around the middle of August, looking forward to that book-by-book, chapter-by-chapter study classic of Calvary Chapel. Luke 23, Psalm 32, as you're turning there... Married off my daughter yesterday night. Um, It was awesome. It was a surprise wedding in a good way. Um, My daughter's fiance is a mariner, and they had planned their wedding in December. Unfortunately, he just got his orders, and he would be at sea the day of his wedding. That would not work for my daughter. So FaceTime wedding was not going to do for her. So they actually chose to elope. So I said, great, I love that. Elope to California, I'll do the wedding. And so they came in Friday, we did the wedding Saturday, um, and they're leaving today or tomorrow um, back to Florida because she's in nursing school and she's got to get back. And so um, if I seem a little bit tired at the 1230, it's not you, trust me. Um, Actually, I am energized to communicate the gospel. Um, We're going to be in Luke chapter 23 and Psalm chapter 32 as we begin these seven stings. Why don't we go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to give us spiritual ears to hear so that we might be obedient to his word. Father, We do come before you excited about what you want to speak to us, but we need spiritual ears to hear. So would you grant us today the opportunity to listen and to hear? Thank you for those that are here. Because it expresses a hunger and you promise they'll be filled. And so I ask that your message and your heart and your spirit would fill this place. Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 23, let's pick it up in verse 32. There were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. The criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. It amazes me that the pinnacle of world history is described in a phrase. In fact, it's described in this very same phrase through all of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There they crucified him. We know nothing about crucifixion from the word of God except that Jesus was crucified. In fact, it seems as if they don't necessarily minimize it but are not yet able to talk about it. The pain was too fresh, but yet... The resurrection was around the corner. You see, crucifixion is something that we learn about as theologians as we study first century Roman culture. 
The Bible somewhat remains silent on it because even though it's the pinnacle of history, the resurrection is the power. So there they crucified him. And there they crucified him. We're going to see the very first thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth. Would you look at verse 34? It's our topic today. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. We just sang a song, and the church of Christ was born, and the Spirit lit the flame. You see, the sunset of the life of Jesus here on earth provided the dawning of a new day for the church when the Spirit of God would light that fire only on the Pentecost after the resurrection. His death, his burial, his resurrection opened the door for our salvation. You see, the book of Hebrews makes it very clear that without the shedding of blood, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, there can be no remission of sins. You see, it was the blood of Jesus that was shed. He was the Lamb of God. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament. You see, in the Old Testament, they would slaughter a lamb. And this lamb would atone for their sins. They would be atoned for. There wasn't redemption. Christ had not died yet. But this was the way to get back in relationship with God through the atoning of a sacrifice. And Jesus, he would come on the scene and be announced by John the Baptist as the Lamb of God. He was sinless. He was blameless. He lived the life that he knew that we could not. Paul, he would say it like this in Ephesians chapter 1. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. It's only in Christ that we have redemption through his blood. It's only in Christ, not that our sins are atoned for, covered over. No, our sins are forgiven. No wonder. No wonder the psalmist would shout with joy. I'll read it for you. In Psalm 103, listen to his excitement about his forgiveness. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all of his benefits. Now he's about to list them. Who forgives the very first thing? Who forgives all of our iniquities? He heals our diseases, redeems Your life from destruction crowns us with loving kindness, tender mercies who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He's celebrating what God has done for him and he says, bless the Lord, all of my emotion, everything within me blesses and praises the name of God. He can't help himself and shouts it again, bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not everything. Everything that he's done for us. He's forgiven us. Let the redeemed of the Lord say amen. Okay. Now, I thought the 9 o'clock was bad. And I told the 9 o'clock, like, the 1045 is better than you guys. They got a little more Pentecostal spirit. Then I said, let the redeemed of the Lord say amen to the 1045. And I was ashamed. The 9 o'clock did better than the 1045. And can I say, you all should be up more than anyone. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You're better than the 9 and the 1045. 
I knew my 1230 had it in them. Now, those of you that are here for the, that are usually at the nine o'clock, don't tell them. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. You see, forgiveness is an act of the offended to pardon the offense at their own personal expense. It's an act of the offended to pardon the offense at their own personal expense. There's no greater display of this definition than the cross of Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of God at his own personal expense because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This is true forgiveness. And true forgiveness was at the heart of God. And Jesus wanted each person throughout the church age to understand the purpose of the cross. And so the very first thing that comes out of his mouth is, Father, forgive. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is like receiving the greatest blessing of your life. Do you remember Christmas? Do you remember the gift that was under the tree? And you, when you were a kid, you couldn't wait to open it. So when your parents went to bed, oh, 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 you just knew how to get a little razor blade and cut the tape in such a way that they would never notice and unravel it the way your mom would wrap it up. And you could just look at the side and see what it is and then wrap it back up. Who did that as a kid? Go ahead, confess. It'll actually heal you. I did. Okay, great. Okay, good. We've got a few lawbreakers in here. Guess what? You can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. You see, forgiveness is a great blessing. Turn with me to Psalm 32. I want you to see the gift of forgiveness. It's Psalm 32. I'll pick it up in verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. Now what the psalmist does is give a parenthetical statement about what his life was like before there was forgiveness. Look what he says. When I kept silent, my bones grew old though my groan, through, through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Now the psalmist goes back into the fact that he's forgiven and he says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I've not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Church, this is why when we're raptured and go to heaven, and the great worship service in heaven, in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, we shout and sing unto God, all glory and honor and power be unto the Lamb of God. Church, his name is Jesus. And when we are raptured in this great worship service, we for the first time will realize the truth of our forgiveness, the truth of our redemption that can only be found because of this pinnacle moment in history, the cross of Jesus Christ. In fact, this song is so profound in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. When John heard the song, he said it was a new song. Now let me tell you what that means. It doesn't mean it's a song we don't know. No, we know the song. All honor and glory and power be given to him. We know the song. It's a song as if you've never heard singing before. 
It is so loud, so praiseworthy, so glorious. John goes, it's an unprecedented song. It's a new song, a new song. We're singing to the Lamb of God who took away our sin. We're singing because we've realized redemption. You see, in this prayer, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing, is found in the cross hope. You see, the Holy Spirit is revealing through this prayer and his very first cry, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. This is the first thing that Jesus says on the cross. And church, while I cannot begin to dig to the depths of what these words mean that were uttered by the Lord, my hope in the next few moments is to develop four thoughts in our mind so that our belief turns toward behavior. Let me explain. We believe that Jesus said this. We believe that he said this saying on the cross. It's recorded for us in the Holy Bible by the Holy Spirit. But how does the belief of it affect our behavior in our everyday world? And so I want you to write down this very first thought. Would you please, the heart of our Savior during his trial was to cry out to his Father in prayer. Father. The very first word off the cross, Father. Now, there was no doubt in his mind whether or not God was listening. There was no doubt in his mind whether or not God would hear him. No, there's a reason that Jesus prayed out loud. Do you remember when Jesus went on the scene in John chapter 11 and he's about to call Lazarus out of his four-day grave hotel? And he's about to call him out and he prays to the Father. Listen to what Jesus says. Listen to the theology of Jesus' public prayer. It's John chapter 11, verse 42. The Bible says, And I know that you always hear me. This is Jesus talking. I'm confident. I know you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus prayed out loud to build our faith. He wanted us to hear, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Because there is something in this prayer that needs to take our belief to our behavior. There was no doubt whether or not God was listening. He says, I know that you always hear me. And there was no doubt that his Father would forgive Do you remember Moses? I need to break something to you. Moses had an anger problem. And God was trying to disciple Moses his entire life. Remember, Moses hit the rock. Like he struck the rock. So in other words, he was so upset with the people, he'd rather hit the people with the stick, but he couldn't hit the people because he knew that wouldn't be great. So he hit the rock. When Moses was 37 days away from death and he gives one of five sermons in the book of Deuteronomy, do you know what he tells the children of Israel? It's because of you people that I can't go in the promised land. Moses had an anger problem, okay? He was struggling and God wanted to raise him up and make a loving person out of him. 
So when Moses comes down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, what does he do to those ten tablets that God wrote on with his finger? They would be on my trophy mantle place. Moses' anger, what does he do? Throws it down. And then he wants all, everybody dead. So God calls Moses to the scene and says, we got to test you, Moses, a little bit because i got to put my heart in you. Why don't you come back up on the mountain? Let's have some devotions in the morning, and you and I are going to talk. And you know what God says to Moses? When God speaks to Moses in Exodus chapter 34, he says this, I'm the Lord, the Lord God. In other words, what he's telling Moses, don't put your anger on me because I'm not like you. I'm the Lord the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He introduces himself to Moses as a forgiving God. So when Jesus is praying, Father, forgive them, amen. When Jesus is praying, Father, forgive them, he's not questioning whether or not God would forgive. No, 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 no. This prayer is a pronouncement. He's teaching us something about his heart. He's revealing his heart because out of the abundance of the heart speaks the mouth. And forgiveness was in the heart of Jesus. And this was a prayer that he was continuing to pray. Let me explain. Go back with me to Luke chapter 23. I want you to see it. Luke chapter 23, would you look at verse 34? Luke chapter 23, verse 34. There's a very important word found there. It's the word then. Stop there. You remember what Jesus told the devil? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. And so when I'm preparing a Bible study, I choose to study everything every word and dissect it in the Greek so that I've got a full understanding of what it is that I'm communicating. And this word then is a very important word. It's letting us know, let me explain it like this. I'm going to catch you up to speed what Jesus was doing when he was laying down on the cross. I'm going to catch you up. I'm going to fill in the story as to what Jesus was doing then. So it's not like then like this is the next thing. It's then like let me fill you in with what Jesus was. Now take a look at the next word. Then Jesus said. Very important word. Because in the Greek, this is not a past tense word. It's an action verb. It is Then Jesus was saying, saying. In other words, the whole time he was on the cross, the prayer that he was communicating, Father, forgive. Now, none of us should be surprised that he's connecting with his Father. And the Holy Spirit desired for us to see that his connection was with the Father. Would you go back with me, just a page, to Luke chapter 22. Take a look at this in verse 39. Luke chapter 22. None of us should be surprised that the very first word that comes out of his mouth is Father. Look at, if you would, Luke chapter 22, verse 39. Coming out, speaking of Jesus, he went to the Mount of Olives. As he was accustomed, very good word, And his disciples also followed him. 
When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, same word, Father, Father, stop there if you would. This is what he was accustomed to. Jesus was always praying. At the beginning of Mark's gospel, he went out early in the morning, long before the sun came up, to pray. When he was picking his disciples, in Luke chapter 6, he went up on the mountain and prayed through the night. The Bible says in the gospels, as was his usual practice, he was praying. He was a person of prayer. Prayer was the context of his life. He prayed for guidance. He prayed for direction. He prayed for connection. And if he prayed out loud, he prayed that our faith might grow. He prayed in good moments. He prayed in bad moments. In fact, as a bird's nature is to sing, so the nature of Christ is to pray. And he's still praying. The Bible says he's in heaven interceding for you and for me. He has a ministry of prayer and he's praying to the Father because that's what Jesus does. Now I want you to take a note of this prayer and I want you to see how candid this prayer is. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. There's no pretense. And let me let you know, it's not seven and a half minutes long. You see, some of us think that if we pray long prayers, that gets God's attention. Some of us, my dad, in fact, my dad used to pray in King James English. Thou, O God, art a goodest God. We thanketh thee for all that thou art. And I would say to him, Dad, do you know that God speaks English? Like, do you know that he speaks Spanish? Do you know that he speaks Bassa? And I went, Apo get a puzzle, bam. And I just said, glory to God in a different language. I mean, could you understand it? But guess what? God can understand it. And he, my father looked at me and he said this, you talk to God the way that you want to talk to God, and I will talk to God the way that I want to talk to God. And if you feel the need to disrespect him when you speak to him like that, you go right ahead. My dad always had a way to bring the whip at the end. But God... <laughs> yes, he was. But this prayer, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do, it's direct. It's clear. It's concise. I mean, concise. There's an earnest need right at this moment, and Jesus knew exactly what to pray. No wonder James, the half-brother of Jesus, would look at Jesus' life growing up and say the effectual, fervent prayer, not the seven-and-a-half-minute prayer, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Let me explain it like this. I told you my daughter got married. She got married in our side yard. It was just my family and their family. That's it. That's all, we, that's all we could do. We had 38 people at the wedding yesterday. Three-fourths of them were my family, okay? So, and then we had the Zoom call, and the rest of them were watching. I need to let you know, I was the pastor. I was the caterer. I was the wedding coordinator. 
and I was the reception host. I announced my own father-daughter dance, okay? Like, there wasn't an MC. I was the MC, okay? Really, if you want to do a wedding, you need to hire me, okay? I did all, okay? And I, I was like all five of them, and I really tried to be dad, okay? We, how many of you were at the marriage ministry uh, Saturday morning? How many, it was so great to be with you guys, and I'm sorry that we had to leave when we did. But we had to get out of marriage ministry so that we could get to being the caterer and cooking the food and everything else about this wedding that was happening at 6.30, whether we were ready or not. So I went to Costco. And I saw someone there from the marriage ministry there at Costco. And let me tell you, I love seeing you guys. And I've learned from you. You guys watch me when I'm shopping. So guess what I do when I see one of you now? I watch you. And I see meat or tofu. And I just watch. And then right when you put it in, I come walking up to you. Hey, how are you? And this is what you guys do. Uh, we're great. I'm like, I'll look at you. Dude, I can see it. Let's just talk. I love you. I'm so glad that we're here, right? And because you guys do that to me, you follow me around Costco. And then right at the moment, right at the moment that you're a little suspicious, <gasps> Pastor Chad, hi, I'm watching you. Don't put that in your, no, I'm not putting anything in my, it's like, hi, how are you? I'm so glad to see you. And I loved seeing her, but we were crazy yesterday trying to get ready for this wedding. I got a headache, a tension headache, around 4.30. Then at 5 o'clock, and exactly at 5 o'clock, my wife told me, put the flower display on the arbor at 5. You don't put it at 4.30 because you put it at 4.30, the flowers will wilt. Great, 5 o'clock comes. I put the flowers on the arbor, and I'm putting it up there, and all of a sudden, my neck cricks. And I walk away like this. Because you know if you move, it's really going to hurt. And all I said was, God, you got to fix this. Five minutes later, I realized I didn't have a headache, and my neck was no longer cricked. I didn't go to my prayer closet. I didn't call everyone to fast and pray. I just said, Father, forgive me. Like, God, you got to fix this. And I learned the powerful lesson of James yesterday. The effectual, fervent prayer. Let me tell you how fervent I was. God, fix this. I am not doing a wedding like this tomorrow. I was effectual. You see, when my whole heart was into something, God said, that's what I'm talking about. And I love the heart of the Father. He's not looking for a display. He's looking at our heart. And there was no one more fervent or righteous in this moment than Jesus dying on the cross, taking upon the sins of the world. And he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Now, I want you to write down, this is number two. I want us, we can't help but notice the priority of his prayer. The priority of his prayer. He prays, Father, forgive them. Because them are his priority. Now remember, then and saying, he was always saying this. So when the Romans put him on the cross, they heard, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. When he was erected up onto the cross and the Jews were mocking him, 
Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Matthew says that both of those scoundrels, the criminals on either the right or the left, they both spit on Jesus and they both heard, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. With no mention of who, that player applies to all. It applies to me. It applies to you. And what I love about the priority of his prayer was not himself. The priority of his prayer was selfless. He was praying for the vilest of sinners. You see, Jesus made it clear that those who crucified him, when he was being interrogated by Pilate, he says, those who have handed me over to you are guilty of a greater sin. Yet he prays for them. Father, forgive them. So what sin have you committed that the enemy has lied to you that you can't be forgiven? Not only selfless was this prayer, Father, forgive them, but it was sacrificial. You see, there he lies on the wood of a cross, beaten and battered, bruised for our transgression, and he pronounces, Father, forgive them. He doesn't cry out for relief for himself. He doesn't say, deliver me from this. No, I have a pastor friend of mine. He told me that he was, a story, the contact that he had with a woman in his church. This woman had a debilitating disease over the 15 years of her life. She was now 80 years old. He walked up to her and said to her, I just want you to know I'm praying for your healing. As only an 80-year-old woman could say, she looked at him and said, Pastor, then you're praying unbiblically for me. My pastor friend was surprised and said, How could you say that? She goes, It's obvious that you've never read the book of James. The Bible says that when you go through your trial, you pray for wisdom. So I want you to pray for wisdom for me so that I know why God's allowed me to have this trial and so I can glorify him through it. Now, I want you to notice there's about four people clapping because the rest of us are praying that God would just simply heal us. Amen? Church, Jesus' prayer was sacrificial. Father, forgive them. But I want you to see in this prayer, Father, forgive them. This prayer is his sanctified calling. He was always set his face as a flint toward the cross because he was the sinless, unblemished lamb of God. He would take away the sins of the world. He came to die. You see, it was their sin It was our sin. In fact, it was whoever would believe on him, his sanctified call was to go to that cross. And there on that cross, he announces, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. But I want you to see something else. Would you see, number three, the practice of his life of prayer? The practice that was in his life of prayer. You see, throughout the ministry of Jesus Christ, there was a practice of his life. You see, he was committed to reaching the lost. 
No wonder he would pray this. You see, the Bible says about Jesus that he came to seek and to save the lost. Let me take you back to the garden. Not the garden of Gethsemane, the garden of Eden. Do you remember when Adam and Eve sinned and God came walking in the cool of the garden, he asked a question, where are you? And then Jesus would come on the scene hundreds of years later and said, I came to find you. He's been asking the question since the beginning of time, where are you? You see, Jesus came to find you. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. And he's still on the search then and now, calling out to sinners, no matter the heights of success or the depths of of despair, where are you? Do you realize he's asking that question for your prodigal child? Where are you? I've come to find you. You see, this is the heart of Jesus. No wonder he would pray, Father, forgive them, because he was committed to reaching the lost. But in this practice, this practice of prayer, he had a practice of continually recognizing the real problem that needed prayer. So he prays, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They were ignorant. You see, in the grand scheme of this moment, we recognize 2,000 years later, 2,000 years of church history, 2,000 years of studying the Word of God, 2,000 years of understanding redemption, we know what the cross meant. And he's proved it over and over again. It means redemption. Let me prove it. How many of you have been forgiven because of the blood of Jesus Christ and are saved and are going to heaven? Raise your hand. Amen. 2,000 years later, the truth of the cross is still powerful in your life. I don't need theology. All I need to do is look at your changed life. Once I was in darkness, now I'm in light. That's because of the cross, and its power is still powerful 2,000 years later. You've changed. You have changed. But for them, they didn't know. There was no church. Jesus was just another criminal. He was duly dying on the cross. Even though he was pronounced guiltless by Pilate, guiltless by Herod, and by the puppet court of the Sanhedrin, though they tried to make guilt stick on him, there was no way because he was the sinless, perfect, unblemished, sacrifice, sacrificial lamb of God. Amen? But I love Jesus. He always knows what to pray for. Even when we don't know how to pray. Do you remember Peter? And he's about to commit the biggest mistake of his life and deny the Lord to a little girl. But do you know what Jesus went up to him and said long before he saw that little girl? He said, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you, but I'm praying for you. And when you return, strengthen your brethren. Jesus knows exactly what to pray. In John chapter 17, Jesus knew that the guards were coming to get the disciples. He knew it. 
So in John 17, at the Last Supper, when he closes in prayer, he says, protect them from the evil one. He always knows exactly what to pray. I don't know if you know this, but I was dating a girl that I wanted to marry before Andrea. This was my prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm so excited to marry this girl. She is beautiful. She's great. Thank you for giving me, giving her to me. I just, this is such an answer to prayer. I'm so excited. I hadn't even met Andrea yet. So you know what Jesus was saying to the father? Father, let's just put Andrea's name where he's putting this other girl's name because he's really praying for his wife because she's not his wife. Can I tell you how thankful I am that Jesus knows exactly what to pray to the father because I married Andrea, not her. Yeah, and you can clap for that. Because some of you know Andrea. And I am ecstatic that Jesus knew exactly who to pray for, for me. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It made impact in one person's heart that day. His prayer was exactly what he needed to hear. And though he spit on him, he turned to him and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. If you've ever heard a prayer of faith and repentance before, Jesus pierced into the heart of that man and said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. When all these people come to me about um, the sinner's prayer, and well, there's no such thing as a sinner's prayer, I take them right there to the cross because the best sinner's prayer is in Luke chapter 23, remember me. Because it was not what he said, it was his heart that Jesus saw. And Jesus responded with compassion. He always knows what to pray. But finally, I want you to write this down. We've got to note the prevalence of this prayer. The prevalence of this prayer. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. You see, the prevailing issue of the world at the time of the crucifixion was ignorance to the gospel. They didn't know. And in his wisdom, he pleads for mercy. He prays the most specific, clear, and concise prayer. His wisdom is found in this. He found what to pray for. Father, forgive them. And here's why. They don't know what they're doing. They don't have the witness of the church. They don't have the power of the Holy Spirit to convict them of the sin and righteousness and judgment. And he's wise enough to know the heart of the Father. You see, God so loved the world that whoever would believe, it's God's heart that all men are saved. All people are saved, not just some people. Timothy, when Paul is writing Timothy, he says, pray to the Father who wants all people saved. Jesus knew the heart of the Father. It's why he went to the cross. It was in accordance to his will so that one day you could answer the prayer and say, please forgive me. Church, do you remember Isaiah? Isaiah pleads on behalf of God and says to him, through him, 
Though your sins are as scarlet, in other words, I know you've murdered my prophets. Though your sins are as scarlet, return to me. And it doesn't matter what you've done. If you turn to me, I will wash you as white as snow. I'll wash you as white as snow. You see, the most prevalent prayer that Jesus could pray, the wisest thing he could pray was, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And I want us to learn from his wisdom. Peter did. You see, in Luke chapter 7, verse 35, when Jesus was speaking, he said, wisdom is justified by her children. In other words, when you make a wise decision, you will see the fruit of it days, weeks, months, years later. Peter, I'm sure it was reported to him, Father, forgive them, for, you do not, for they do not know what they do. And when the Holy Spirit lit the church in Peter's first sermon, he looked at the very ones who heard that prayer. They were there at the cross. And he said, in your ignorance, you didn't know. You crucified Jesus. Now repent. And the Bible says that the prayer of Jesus was answered, Father, forgive them, and 3,000 people were added to their number that day. 3,000! So church, I've got four questions for you. You see, it's our turn now to learn from the prevalence of this prayer, the wisdom found in this prayer. My first question is this. Has prayer become our custom despite our trials? Do trials make you doubt or like Jesus, do they drive you to the Father? Because the Spirit of Christ is in you, the Bible says in Romans 8, and the Spirit cries out, Abba, Father. And have we made it our custom to never cease from prayer, no matter our situation or circumstance, but when it comes upon us, the very first thing that comes out of our mouth in the midst of our trial is Father. We call out to God. My second question is this, church, listen. Do we find ourselves having his priority, Father, forgive them, no matter the person or the personal sacrifice? Is our life bent on making the gospel heard to the vilest of sinners? Do we look at the Hollywood stars as they're just lost? They'll never come to God. Or do we find ourselves praying, Father, forgive them? My third question, will we make it our practice? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Will we make it our practice, the reason we pray, so that we've got the boldness and the courage to go into the highways and to the byways to reach the lost no matter what it costs us. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Let me explain. If I was to turn off every light, 
and I was to block all of the light coming into this building, and I had one candle, and I lit one little small birthday candle, every one of you in this room would see the light of that candle. In fact, the darker this room is, the brighter that light would shine, because light looks at the face of darkness with boldness and with courage, and despite the darkness that surrounds it, it purposes to shine brightly. Church, is that our practice? Finally, the fourth question is this. Can we gain the wisdom to see our greatest opportunity in the prevalence of our day of so much ignorance? Let me explain. The greatest hope we have today for the gospel is ignorance. It's found right in this prayer. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do because we live in a time of history since the cross of which the gospel is more ignorant in the lives of the people around us than any other time in world history since that moment. There are elementary school kids that go to school thinking that Jesus Christ is a curse word and he's not a person. There are people that think that God has a last name that I would never dare to repeat. There are people in your world that have never heard the gospel and have grown up having no idea why do we have a cross. They don't even know what it means. Sometimes when they see the Calvary dove, I've had people ask me, why do you got the state of Texas hanging over your church? something that is so familiar to us, something that we hold so sacred, do you realize there are people in our world that are absolutely ignorant to the cross? And to me, we might be postmodern, but we are pre-revival if we start praying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.